Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Super Bowl of Coffee with Colin. My name is Colin Egglesfield, and please grab your, your cup of coffee, your adult beverage. Tonight, I'm excited because I've got a member of the Super Bowl team from 2006 from my favorite football team, the Chicago Bears, and I'm so excited because this guy is a true champion. He has written a book, which I've been reading, and it is awesome. It's called The Principles of Winning. And he is someone who has overcome insurmountable odds to get to where he is at, to get to where he grew up in Florida, to play in Wake Forest, where he was an all-star football player, to get to the NFL. I mean, the chances of playing in the NFL are like, 0.000001% of anyone who attempts to play sports. So I'm so excited to uh, to have this gentleman on our show because not only does he demonstrate what it takes to be successful in the football field, but he has taken everything that he's learned from sports and now transformed it into his post-NFL career as a financial advisor and investor and entrepreneur. And uh, I'm so excited to have him on the show because a lot of the stuff that he writes about in Principles of Winning is exactly what I promote and I talk about. And it's awesome to be finding and having a conversation with someone who is like-minded. And, uh, and I can't wait to, uh, to hear what he has to say about a lot of this stuff. But uh, his name is Desmond Clark, ladies and gentlemen. And he attended Wake Forest University. He was an all-star wide receiver, finishing his career as the all-time leading receiver with 216 receptions for 2,834 yards and 20 touchdowns. He got drafted by the Denver Broncos, and fortunately, he ended up in my hometown of Chicago. Lucky for us, because he helped Chicago go to the Super Bowl. And what I like about it, this book is that it's a really quick read, and there's a lot of really good nuggets in here. And before we bring him on here, I just want to share with you something that he wrote. And uh, this is from chapter seven. And he says that there's one thing that stuck out to Desmond when he was, when he was drafted by the Denver Broncos. And before he actually made the team, one of the scouts actually said something to him that resonated with him. And Desmond writes that this is something that may likely have been the reason that Desmond made it in the NFL and almost certainly the reason why he wrote this chapter on self-motivation in this book. And he writes that the scout told Desmond, you've got to stop comparing yourself to the other players. What you got to figure out is how good you want to be. We all have something within us that is world-class what are you the best at in the world at? We are all the best in the world at doing something. What is that for you? What are you the best at the world at? And it doesn't have to be anything magnificent other than you being true to yourself and your authentic self. And in this book, Desmond gets really real and very authentic. He talks about the challenges that he faced growing up with a father who faced addiction and how his father overcame addiction and growing up and what that was like. And uh, 
just reading about his family and and Desmond really taking that and using that as the catalyst for him to achieve the success that he has achieved, not only, again, on the football field, but in life afterwards. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for Mr. Desmond Clark. How you doing, sir? Thank Dude, you. This is so exciting. I don't think I ever had a better introduction than that one. <laughs> Dude, this is, man, it's, uh, you know, we've only known each other for a few months now. We've had some conversations, but uh, man, just in the short time that I've gotten to know you, what a pleasure, what an honor. Thank you for being here. Man, I appreciate you being on and you bringing me right. I think your last episode, you had Ryan Cheverini on. Yes. A good friend of mine. So yes. I was like, man, I got big shoes to follow. That's right, man. That's right. But you know what? Chicago loves you. And this is, uh, you got a warm audience here. A lot of really great people who are watching right now who are so excited and in, inspired to hear what you have to say about um, just about your life and the things that you've uh, you've gone through to get to where you're at, man. It's uh very impressive. This is really, really solid read. Yes, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. How long? Uh, how long ago did you did you write the book? Oh, um, I started in November of 2019. I finished and published it in April 2020. April 20th, 2020th, which was my 43rd birthday. So it was a it's like a, a present gift to myself. Awesome. I mean, a, yeah, a birthday gift to myself. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I've written a book as well. And, uh, you know, it's like before writing a book, you always kind of think it's like it's this daunting task, but like anything else. Um, and like one of the things that you talk about in your book is that it's all about just having those those goals in your life to shoot for. And once you reach that that little goal that's attainable and what you talk about, the difference between goals and dreams is is what? Well, so for, for me, those dreams are like way, way out there. Like yep. you almost can't get to those dreams. But if you take it like one step at a time, it's like walking up a, a long stairway staircase. When you look up at that staircase, you're like, man, it's a thousand stairs. There's no way I'm going to reach the top. But the only way to reach it, reach the top is just one step at a time. And exactly. that's how that's how that's how it was done. And that's how it was, that's how it was always done. Nobody. Nobody can go past a step um, on the way to, to the ultimate goals and dreams. Exactly. And so the, the book, was that your idea? Did someone say, hey, Desmond, I want to I help you write a book? No, that was my idea. Actually, this is my second book. But I say that this is my first professional book. Um, and I had been talking about this subject matter for six years before I said, okay, let me go ahead and write this book. This book was supposed to come out in 2017. My hmm. first book came out in 2015. Uh, so it took me a little while longer than I wanted to to write it. But I finally said, let me get it out of my head. I knew I was going to start doing more coaching and more speaking. So I said, before I got to doing that, let me go ahead and finish this book. And tell you the truth, it wasn't it wasn't that bad. Um, just like we just said, one step at a time. It was yeah. just one, one hour at a time sitting down, talking uh, back and forth with my writers and, and making sure that I told the stories the way that I wanted to tell the stories. Mm -hmm. And it was one, one hour, one and a half hours uh, at a time. And, and we finally got it all put together. Yeah. And uh, and you get pretty real in, in this book. You talk about, you know, what it was like growing up in Florida with, uh, you know, the the addiction that your your father was facing while you were growing up and your two older brothers. 
Um, tell me about what, what that was like and what, what made you feel that, uh, feel compelled to share such an intimate and, um, and personal story with, with the world. Oh, I didn't put my headphones because it was a little staticky there. So I hope that this is good. Yeah, um, can hear you. that's good. For, for me, you know, I was able to get to a level in life that many people will never get to for one reason or another. And, and I feel blessed to say that because I didn't get there by myself. I got there with a lot of help. I got there because people believed in me. I got there because people helped me and my family. I got there because I had some wonderful coaches. And in short, what I'm saying is I got there because I had some truly great people to help me get there. And I believe that I owe it back to everyone else to share my story because I believe in this one, I believe in this truth. I believe that we grow and we learn from one source and that's just new information. And you can only get new information from two areas, from your own experiences or from other experiences. And I feel like the experiences that I went through Maybe somebody could relate to it or maybe somebody could be inspired from it or be motivated from it or just take mm -hmm. something from it that helps them be even better than they are today to help them get to their ultimate level of success. I think I owe it to that person or those people for all of the things that the people did for me to get me to where I, where I ended up in life. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm the same way. We're going to have the uh, Monday, Monday Night Football, football producers, producers take care, take care of this, this technical, technical difficulty. difficulty. Is that on my side or, or your side? I think. I think. Oh. I think uh, I'm hearing an echo on your side. Okay, let me do this. I'm going to get rid of the. This phone is in here and and these are in here. So I'll just move these out of the way. All right, ladies and gentlemen, being agile on the fly. I think we're sounding better. All right, let's go. Let's do it. We're back. All right, we're back. Cool, cool. All right, so we were just, uh, yeah, we we're talking about just, uh, I mean, for you to be able to be as authentic and real uh, and sharing with us in the book about what it was like, you know, growing up, uh, where you grew up and, and what the circumstances of your family life was like. Why don't you tell us a little bit about where you came from and what were the, some of the challenges that you faced growing up? Right. I, I came from the same city that I'm, that I'm living in today. I just recently moved back to Lakeland, Florida because my daughter wanted to finish um, high school here so she can actually go to school and play sports. But early on, and I want to make sure that I tell people this, that Lakeland, Florida is not this like bad, like drug infested town. Um, I had a friend of mine that came down here. He was like, this is nothing like I thought it was, was going to be. I was like, well, what did you think? He was like, just from hearing about your life and everything, I thought it was going to be a certain way. But yeah. you know, every part of every town, every city has its parts, nice parts, bad parts, this and that. Yeah. But when I came up, it wasn't so much that um, the town and stuff was bad. It's just that our situation wasn't the best because uh, early on in my life, my father had got addicted to crack cocaine, which kind of, made us go on this down, this downward spiral where we were, you know, without a home for a while, living with, with family members. And then we finally 
um, got this little apartment down in this neighborhood called the Black Bottom, and to the day it's still called the Black Bottom. Yeah. Me and my brothers, we we go by there and we we look at it and we smile at it now because when we were in the Black Bottom, we didn't have things like refrigerator, we didn't have like uh, lights all the time. Uh, we used to have this cooler, and I tell this story when I'm on stage a lot. We used to have a cooler that we used to go and fill up with ice on a everyday basis just to keep whatever little bits of foods or drinks um, cool that we had in the house. We, we didn't have much at all. Um, and like I said earlier, it was people from different neighborhoods or coaches or, or whoever that would help us out to get us to where we had to be. But most importantly, man, my mom, she was rock. And through it all, you know, she never did let us feel as though we were without, even though looking back on it, we were without. And she would tell us that as long as we had us, we had enough. And that's something that resonated with me throughout my life. And even yeah. um, it, it, it continues to get bigger and bigger as we continue to go on. But seeing, you know, seeing my father in those situations um, when he was shot and blinded, shot with a 12-grade shotgun and, and blinded, that was his third time being shot. Not his third time being shot at, so you could pretty much figure out the type of lifestyle that he was living. Um, you know, and and I, that was at the age of twelve, and that's when you know he used to pull me in the back room when I used to be over my grandmother's house and ask me to light his crack pipe, and that was something that I did on a routine basis whenever I was around. And just the trauma and and just the emotion that goes along with watching your father, not only watching your father get high but your father asking you to help him get high. And then just trying to process that type of stuff and being in those situations and being in and out of drug houses because mm-hmm. I just wanted to be around my father sometimes. And, and sometimes if I wanted to be around him, I had to be in the dope house. So people got to know me. Like if I go in one dope house, it's like, no, you're fine here. He's you know up the street at this other dope house. And, and just going through all of that and just coming up hard when I was a teenager, and that really shaped me because I knew exactly what I didn't want to be. Mm-hmm. I didn't exactly know what I wanted to be, but I know exactly what I didn't want to be. And I didn't want to be like my dad. And I didn't want to be like the, the things that I've seen because living check to check, having the struggle, you know, being on session, section eight, getting food stamps. We don't know if, if you're going to have enough food here or you got to pay the light bill here or, you mm-hmm. know, all, all of that struggle. I knew I didn't want to struggle and I knew I want to be successful. So, that's something that I promised my mom at an early age, at the early age of 14, that I was going to be successful, not really knowing what it meant, but knowing what unsuccessful really looked like and just going in the opposite direction. Where do you think that came from? Do you think that was just innately within you or was it something like you wanted to succeed to be able to take care of your mom and make sure your dad was OK? Or where do you, where do you think that came from? I think it just came from like just being pissed off and tired of like struggling. Yeah. You know, when, when you're young, um, you go to school and you get picked on and people call you the dirty clock boy. And, you know, people looking down on you and, you know, people snickering at you when you when you walk past. Yeah. You just you just get tired of it. And for me, I was always a quiet person. I, I've always been a quiet person. And it was something that was just internal. Like, I'm not going to be this way all the time. I'm going to do what I need to do to get out of this. And, you know, for, for me. It wasn't necessarily about making sure that I helped my mom or, or, you know, make sure that my dad was all right. It was this. It was fulfilling that promise to my mom that I was going to be successful because I thought just for me doing it, you know, it would 
uplift her and her spirits from all the things that she went through. So that was really my motivation is just fulfilling that promise to her and just getting out of the situation and not and not being um, looked at as as the the guy that you know that didn't have any clothes or you know that that couldn't get anything done, couldn't go on a senior trip, you know, uh, yeah. friends have to buy shoes for and that type of thing. I I don't, don't want to live like that all my life. Yeah, it's. I mean, just reading this is just like it's almost incomprehensible. Just what you write here where you said it's hard to describe the impact of knowing your father can no longer see because of a shotgun blast to the face. I remember walking around my house with a towel over my eyes so I could try to experience what he must have, have been experiencing. I mean, you know, I think a lot of people don't uh, truly understand what people's experiences are growing up. And I feel like Sometimes we uh, we just expect everyone to 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 play from the same level playing field, and that's just not the case. We all come from different backgrounds, we all have different upbringings, and uh, like you said in the book, it requires a team in order to really be successful in life. And it just reading this reminded me of a lot of the coaches that I grew up with, and and inspired uh, me to be the, you know, the football player that I knew I could be, but I just needed that someone to believe in me. And I thought it was really interesting when you were, I think it was, was it elementary school or high school where they said, okay, Desmond, you're going to play center. And it wasn't the position you wanted to play. And so you're like, screw this. I'm out of here. And you left and the coach drove down the street and he got out of the car and he said, get in the car. You're coming to practice and you're going to play, right? Yeah, that was, that was Coach Jordan. So uh, I talk about my Coach Jays, Coach Jordan, Coach Jackson, Coach Jordan, Coach Jones. Coach Jordan and Coach Jackson, they were my middle school uh, football and basketball coaches. And Coach Jordan, when he found out that I quit, because look, coming up in Little League, I, I was always a running back or a quarterback, right? Yeah. So I, I had a little ego on me at that point. And okay. you're not going to tell me that I'm going to play center. No. And right. I was I was thin. I was a little guy. I was like all bones. And I'm like, first of all, I should be playing quarterback. Second of all, I'm too small to play center. So screw you. I quit. Yeah. And, and I look back on that time and, and I look back on that time and say, thank God that he cared enough for me to come and find me because I was on my way to my grandmother's house. Um, and who knows if I wouldn't have played that year or if he would have let me quit what consequences would have followed after that. He made me get in the car. He told me I would never quit anything in my life. And I went back on the field and I finished up that year and I and, and I won the best offensive lineman of the year that year playing center. I love it. And what you talk about was even though you didn't like playing that position, you committed to being the best you at that position, which then inspired other people to be better at their positions. And that, to me, is the definition of a true leader. Well, it's one. It's one of those things, and I don't know if I was a leader at that point. I probably was being developed as a leader. But for me, early on in life, it was always if you got to do something, you might as well just go ahead and do it, right? Um, so and be the best at it. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. About to, I'm not about to be out there getting my tail whooped every day playing center by bigger people if I could do something about it. So I might as well, if I'm going to be here, I might as well give it the effort that it deserves and be good at it. 
Um, cause, cause I, I, I told him I wasn't going to quit anymore. So I'm there, give it the effort. It's the same type of stuff that I tell the girls basketball team because I'm actually coaching girls basketball now. I was like, listen, if y'all just go ahead and get an effort, then we don't have to keep going through this stuff over and over. You're here anyway. You might as well just go ahead and give it <laughs> Right? Yeah. Yeah. So what you write here is I performed in that role at my highest possible level. I wasn't self-sacrificing. I was self-improving. And as I did, I lifted everyone around me. I became better. They became better. And we became better. Nobody becomes a champion on their own, but it's only through their own choice that they can make the decision to act and to become a champion. And in one of the chapters later in the book, you talk about how you don't have to have passion for the job, but have passion in the job. So I do personal coaching. And when I talk to some people, some, some of the people I, I talk to and I work with, you know, they say they're, they're not happy with what they're doing or where they're at with their career. But what I try to get them to see is that it's not necessarily the job. It's not where you work. It's how you perform the work in your job. And I think you're the perfect example. And when you, when I was reading this, I was like, that's exactly what I, what I talk about. So it's pretty amazing um, to, uh, to just see how, how dedicated and committed you are um, and all the success principles in here that you really are living and putting into action. Yeah. I think, I think passion is something that's internal. Like I think people think I right, passion is this thing that that's outward, right? Mm -hmm. um, you can show passion, but it all comes from inside. It all passion comes from inside and it's about who you are and how you want to pursue something. And that's a choice. That's, that's not, that's not, a, that's not an emotion. Yep. Not, that's not a feeling. That's a choice. And I think people get that confused that you can choose to be passionate with, with yourself about how you perform anything. And it's not yeah. a job like, Lord knows, like sometimes when I'm doing insurance contracts and things like that, I'm not I'm not passionate about sitting here and having, having to do all this paperwork. But what I am passionate about is getting it right. I am passionate about serving whoever I'm serving at that point. So I'm going to do the job to the best of my ability because I have passion about how I work and about how I do things. Like no no one gets passionate about paperwork and, and those type of things. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, but but I have passion for who I am and what I do and and how I do the work that I do. Yeah. Yep. Well it definitely translates in everything that you do. And another quote that I really liked was you talk about winning and how winning is a skill, not a talent. This means it can be and has to be learned. And I think a lot of people look at some people who are successful in life and, the, and they're kind of like, well, I mean, they're successful. Yeah, they've done it, but there's no way that I could do that. And I, the, the principles that I've learned, I just basically, it's all mindset. It, it really truly comes down to how committed you are to focusing on what is possible. Because we can focus on, on winning. You could focus on, well, if it's going to happen, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And how you talk about one of your coaches, you were having a conversation with him and you asked him like, so you ever think you're going to be a head coach? And he was like, well, if it happens, it happens. And you're like, no, man, you got to make that shit happen. <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. 
Man, I was just sitting in the living room uh, last night with my son, and we he wanted to play me in some uh, in some Madden 2021. Yeah, and I'm beating him 56 at halftime. Okay, zero at halftime. And he was like, "Dad, you gonna let me score?" I was like, "Nope." He was like, "Man, I suck at this game." And he started like complaining this and that, but he kept going right. And I was like, "You gotta find a way to get better." I was like, "I'm not, I'm not gonna let you win. I'm not just gonna let you score." I was like, when you're sitting here practicing, you need to find a way to get better. And and winning is a skill because, look, like you said, people think, hey, this guy made it to the NFL. He had a 12-year career. Right. He must have been, like, uber talented. Right. And when I tell the story that I scored an F in the combine, a 37 out of 100, like, I was small. I was 250 pounds. I was weak. I bench pressed 225 pounds 12 times. That's like, it? That's it. Desmond, I did that in college. <laughs> in high school. And um, and then I was slow. I ran a 4.8840, right? In in my combine. So okay. if you got a 4.8840, you better be a big tight end who can block. I was yeah. a tight end that was slow and weak. But some way I, I made it. And I believe it was like go back to that quote that you read at the beginning, that scout telling me how to build a skill, how how to build a skill to continue to um, make it and bring the best of you to the table. And it was just one day at a time. He said, focus on one thing, one little small thing that you can go out and focus on to make yourself better every single day. Love it. That's how you build that skill. And that's how you get from going to the two-time world champion playing behind a Hall of Fame tight end mm -hmm. and two other Pro Bowl tight ends and then eventually making a name for yourself, even though you started out, you know, the low man on the totem pole. It's a, it's a skill and it's a mindset that comes with that of, of just building, you know, and, and doing the work that's necessary and doing the work that's required. And I think that's that's something that, um you know, the winners, they understand. Yeah. And playing in the NFL I mean, obviously takes a lot of talent to to get to that to that level. But then you look at the the guys like the Tom Brady's, the Peyton Manning's, the Drew Brees's. You know, just watching the game last night with Tom Brady, I mean, he, the guy just wins. You know, there's just something about him when when it, when it's really truly on the line. There's some people that you just feel like, yeah, you know what, I, I would follow that guy into battle any day. Um, what would you say is that that quality about that kind of a player that is that intangible that separates those kinds of players from the rest of the other guys out there who seem to have similar talent? Yeah, I, um, I heard that a lot when I got to Denver about John Elway. And the guys would just say, like, it, it didn't matter what at what point in the game and how much they were down, they always believed that John Elway could bring them back. And I believe that just comes from having true leadership qualities. I was on another podcast today, and I was talking about Jay Cutler, and, and I say with Jay, talent, <laughs> just just a, a just raw talent, the most talented quarterback that I played with. But mm -hmm. I said where he lacked that was leadership. I said if he was a better leader, I think his teams would have done a whole lot more. And what what happens for what I think that happens with, with great leaders, they understand that it's not about them. It's about everybody else who's following them and they and they're there to uplift those people. So when you see that, like Colin, if I go out and I'm always like like pushing um, coffee with Colin, and I'm always there for you, and I'm always, you know, making sure that you uplift it. 
there's not going to be anything that I can't come back to you that, that I asked for that's within your willpower to do that you that you're going to be that you're not going to do for me. Right. That's it. That's the difference. And and you see with the Tampa Bay Bucks this year. I mean, they had a quarterback that threw for over five thousand yards, like fifty three hundred yards last year. Tom Brady didn't do that this year, but they they're a better team. Right. And right. it's probably better leadership in place. It's probably someone there. First of all, he got the respect because he he's done it. He's mm-hmm. proved himself. And then from what I know about Tom Brady, he holds everybody accountable. But then he's also there for his teammates just as much as he's holding holding them accountable. Awesome. Yeah, it's that that's so interesting. And uh, yeah, it was just such a shame when you, I'd see Jay Cutler go out onto the field, and I just was like, man, just. Where's the passion? Where's the like, you know, you see Tom Brady getting in people's faces and you can tell when he's, even when Tom Brady is yelling at his players, you can tell he's yelling at it, yelling from a place of, of that he cares and that he, he sees what's, what's, what's uh, like the champion quality in the player. And he knows when the player's not playing up to that potential. And that's what I love about players like Tom Brady. Um, and uh and it's interesting just to see the different leadership types because you see like a, a Bill Belichick coach for the, the Patriots. And he's just, he's not that rah, rah screamer kind of guy, but yet he still commands the respect from his players and, uh, and gets the job done. Right there. And, and there's, there's not one way to lead. Um, there, there's a, a, a bunch of ways to lead, but me personally, I, I think the best way to lead, and, and I just go back to what I do with my girls on the basketball team. When I first came in, none of them knew me, right? None of them knew yeah. who I was. They, and I had to show them that I was there for them. I had to show them that I cared about them. I had to show them that, you know, I loved each and every one of them more than just basketball, right? And yeah. then when it came time for basketball, and then I had to get on them, and I had to yell at them some, and I had to push them past the points that they wanted to go. They're they, receptive to it. They, they accepted it because yeah. they understood that, it was bigger than just me trying to push them for basketball. It was me trying to push them so they can be the best that they can be overall. Yeah. I would say uh, uh, I really like what you write about being uh, a coach and what you write about um, sharing with coaches. Cause my, my little brother, he coaches his two little kids, his two little boys in little league baseball. And it is just awesome to see Sean, you know, take on that leadership role and he's got all his success principles and he's got the kids buying into all, you know, his success philosophy and, um, and what you write about with regards to uh, the little side notes that you would tell parents with regards to coaching for all of my audience members who are coaches or teachers, what would you share with them about uh, what you write about in the book? Well, man. So here's the funny thing. Um, I talk. I talk so much about the same stuff. I don't know exactly what I said in the book because <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm always I'm always talking the same stuff. But yeah. here's 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 the thing that I would share with parents is that let let their kids be themselves. Like, don't put your expectations and don't put your you know your past and, and things that you didn't accomplish and things that you want them accomplish for your own ego, don't place that on, on them. Let them go out, let them play, let them develop into the kids who, who they're going to be. And that way, I, and I say that because that was my mom. And, and that's how, 
it was nothing that I wanted to do that she wouldn't let me do mm-hmm. as long as I was doing the right thing that she just didn't come out and just support. All right, you want to do that? I'm going to support you. But you got to go full force. You you got to you got to give it your all. That was the only rule. You got to give it your all. And um, I think a lot of times um, we could take the fun out of the game for our kids. Yeah. Like, like with my daughter, um, when she said that she wanted to go to college and play basketball, I waited a few weeks and then I came back. I said, hey, now tell me, do you want to play basketball just to have fun playing basketball or do you really want to see how far you can take it? Because there's two differences. I was like, if you just want to play for fun, we'll have fun. But if you want to play and, and see how far you can take it, I'm going to push you. But I just want your permission to do so because wow. I want to get fun out of the game for you. And That's she was like, awesome. She's yeah. like, I want to see how far I can take it. So she allowed me to push her. And then even as late as last month, you know, I say, hey, you only got like two months left of uh, high school basketball. I'm going to start pushing you harder. Is that okay? And I, I just, because I was like, if you really want to play basketball, you got like two more months and you got to pick it up. You got to get in. And she she let me push her. And it, even, even one time she... I, I could tell that she wanted to cry because I was being real hard on her. Yeah. But after, you know, it's one of the things that she told me is like she liked the fact that when I'm coaching her or I have to get on her about something, it's just that and then it's done. Like it's, I don't take it outside of the basketball court. Mm-hmm. I don't continue to linger on with it. If she does something that she needs to pick up, mm-hmm. coach it. I, I, I teach it and it's done. And I think um, that's a that's a hard balance to have when you're a coach and at the same time. Yeah, so we got to give our kids that, that that space in that that room and they be overbearing and let them enjoy it so they can develop it and continue to have passion for whatever sport it is. That's such great advice, Desmond. Thank you for sharing that. That's that's gold right there. Um, one of the things I read about uh, um, actually. I, I, uh, my little brother told me about this. So when he's coaching, he's got his baseball hat on. And after the game, he'll talk to his son and say, you know, Tristan, uh, you know, how'd you, th- what'd you think about the game? You know, you, uh, did you feel like you played up to your potential? Da, da, da. And, you know, he talks to his son as the coach. And then symbolically, he'll take his baseball hat off. And then he will talk to Tristan as his dad. And mm-hmm. so it's almost as if like it's that it lets Tristan know that, okay, now he is talking to his dad where he can share maybe some of the things that he wouldn't necessarily share with a coach. Right. So I thought that was really, uh, really interesting as well. From that, uh, That's real good. Um, because yeah. you, you have to have that delineation, of, yeah. you know, as, as like, as a coach, you know, I'm, I'm hard pushed let's go no you cannot be tired (laughs) and you know why why are you not making that shot you got to knock that shot down but as dad is like you know how's your knee feeling you know um you know what can we do to get better yeah um you know hey next time you're shooting them shots you know relax on them and just just knock them down you know you want to you want me to um, rebound for you get some extra shots for you so it's it's a it's a clear delineation between coach coach um, Desmond and, and and dad Desmond. Yep, exactly. 
Um, so I've got some questions from our audience, and uh, I'd like to start out with a question by Jody Donahue, and she asks, which one of your coaches in your life inspired you the most? Oh, um, I'm going to go back to that cluster, Coach Jays, um, Coach Jones, Coach Jackson, Coach Joe, Coach Joyner. Um, all of those guys were really instrumental, and two of them came in middle school, two of them came in high school. Another interesting thing is two of them are white coaches, two of them are, are black coaches. Um, and those, I mean, without without those gentlemen, I don't know if I could be sitting here today talking to you, you know, on this stage because they helped mold and create who you see today through those formative years when it was either I'm going to go left, I'm going to go right. Those mm -hmm. coaches would not let me fail. And, and they believed in me and they pushed me and they made me a better person and also made me a better athlete. So I'm going to go at all, all four of my Coach Jays. And then I'm going to go back to Coach Odom, who when I wrote this book, I didn't know at the time, but he was the, the coach that paid for me and my brothers to play two years of Little League football when my mom couldn't afford it. Wow. And I just found that out uh, last year when I was having a conversation with him. And I was like, Coach, by the way, was it you that – and he was like, in a thousand years, I, I would have never thought that you would have asked me that question. And um, so the cat was out of the bag. Wow. And uh, and my buddy Will Wagner wants to know, what was the best part of playing football? What did you? Why did you love it so much? So professionally, the best part of playing football was actually non-football stuff. It was the locker room and that Chicago Bear locker room. Man, we we had fun. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of fun um, because the coaches let us. Yeah, Urlacher there, right? Yeah, man. We, we had a lot of fun guys, and the coaches let us uh, have our own space. The locker room was kind of off limits to them. But we used to have dodgeball games, baseball games. We used to, I mean, we used to do a lot of stuff in that locker room. But the most memorable moment of me playing football has to be coming out of the tunnel in um, Miami, and they, they introducing us as the NFC uh, champs rep representing the NFC, the Chicago Bears, and coming out onto that field for the Super Bowl, and is in my home state. I got my picture there, all the, <laughs> all the cameras and everything flashing, and just thinking, man, I'm actually playing in the freaking Super Bowl. I mean, how nerve wracking is that? Because as an actor, you know, performing. What I love about performing is that you know I get those butterflies and those nerves, and honestly. Des, I wish my my favorite sport is football. I wish my dream job would have been playing wide receiver for the Chicago Bears. Tom Waddle is like my hero, and uh, and so um, what I, uh, I I just I'm like, man, if that was if that could have been possible, that would have been amazing. But my the next best thing is acting because I still get those like before the game butterflies before the kickoff. Do you get? I mean, man, the Super Bowl. I mean, the nerves. Did it ever affect your performance where you had to do anything about like, okay, I need to, I need to find a way to be able to get my, my nerves in check so that I can perform at my optimum level. So in the Super Bowl, it was such a big moment. That was one of the rare games when I had to like, just kind of center myself and breathe and calm down. As soon as I calmed down, Devin Hester took the ball all the way back with a touchdown. Okay. So <laughs> then I had to come all to come down all the um, There was one other game. Uh, it was it was Seattle. It was doing that same playoff run. 
I played the worst game that I ever played um, as far as missed assignments and, and things like that. Um, no one probably to the outside, you guys wouldn't have known. Yeah. But um, I, I made so many mistakes, and it was because I was overhyped. Yeah. Because the year before, in 2005, we got knocked out by Carolina. And I said, coming into this game, I'm going to do everything possible in my control to not let us lose this game. And I overdid it. I studied way too much. I studied more than I ever studied before, right? And I can't, I can't, um, uh, what's the little um, supplement that we used to take? Um, Creatine? No, it wasn't. It, um, Ginseng. Man. No, no, it was something, it was like a, a mix of something like that, like some, it was just something to get, get, get the, get, get you like uh, pumped up. Nothing illegal or nothing like that. I, I forget the name of it, but I took, I took like two of them, right? So I'm, I'm like overhyped. And man, that game, we won the game, but I played the worst game that I ever played um, probably since my rookie year in that game. Because usually before the games, I'm, I'm calm. I'm, you know, especially once I got to Chicago and, and I got my coach, the same coach I was telling you or talking about in that book, he was so good at having us prepared. I mean, the best coach. Is that Lovey Smith? No, no, no. My, my tight ends coach, Rob Boris. Okay. He was, he was so good at having us prepared that I went into the game just calm and confident. And so that's the same guy I was asking, are you going to try to be a head coach one day? Because he had the, the quality to do so. Okay. Would he have you do like visualization exercises? What what had him – what were the some of the techniques he had you guys do? Was it like breathing exercises? What no, man. No, it, it was just – We've we've we he he put us through every possible situation that was gonna come up in the game. Okay. So when you go into a game and you feel like you know everything that they're gonna do and you're prepared for it, that just gives you a calm. It's like, okay, there's nothing that you guys are gonna do that when you do it, I'm not gonna know what's coming yeah. and be able to react to it. And and that's that's the calm that we had, and it was repetition in the film room. There was repetition out on the field, um, and and then just the mental notes, and 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 actually the handwritten notes or the typed up notes that he would give us, you know, the Friday before before a game. Yeah, yeah, definitely. When you're confident when going going into something, definitely it uh, it gives you that sense of of calm, and uh, and I've noticed whenever I've prepared for auditions where I've worked with my acting teachers, where I knew walking into that room, I knew inside, outside, backwards, who this character was, what the lines were. Those are the best. Cause then that way you're not thinking you're just in the moment and you're able to just play. Those right. are the best moments. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I went into most of the games. Yep. And so now that you have, you know, obviously retired from football uh, tell us about what you're doing now. Yeah, so um, I own an insurance agency where we, um, where I specialize in home, auto, and commercial insurances. My partner, she specializes in the health insurance side. And then um, beyond that, I I do a lot of this stuff. Um, I'm a I'm a speaker. I'm an author. Um, got my coaching program um, getting started for 2021. And this is my game time now. When I get to, and right now there's no stages that we're going up on. But um, on the virtual stage or on the real stage, once we get ready to do those things again, yeah. this is 
game time now. And this is where I really like if, if I'm going up on stage, I'm, I'm backstage, getting myself ready to go, getting pumped up because now it's all about, hey, what can I offer to this crowd, to this organization, to this company, to this group of people that's going to help them be better after I leave the stage? So that's that's my game time now. And, and that's my passion. Well, everyone needs insurance, so they need to give you a call if they're looking for insurance. So, absolutely, by all means, look Desmond up um, when you're when you're done watching this. But uh, with regards to now that you're done playing football, um, Rebecca Jonah is wanting to know how did you discover what your hell yeah is after you retired from the NFL? It took a little while, actually. Um... I, I did a few things after I was in real estate, which me and you talked about. That was that was the first thing I did after football. Then I had a short short stint in medical device sales, and then I, I was reintroduced to the investment um, investment field, where I started with Wayne Messmer and Associates. Uh, met a great guy, James Geek, who was who was um, the owner of Wayne Messmer and Associates, and it just really clicked in serving people. Right. And that's something that I've always been passionate in. That's something that's in my purpose statement is just serve people. And I think when you offer, when you're able to offer great value to people, you're going to get that value back. And now that, you know, the financial advisor, I'm seven, uh, series seven and 66 license. I have the, um, the health and life and, and property casual, casualty license. And all of that stuff is about serving other people. And even with the speaking. It's all about serving other people. So I found a way to turn my purpose statement, which is all about a, any expertise or resource that I have um, available to me. I want to use that to help other people be at their best. Just finding a way in some outlets that I could live that purpose. Awesome. And so I teach a course. It's called Inspire. It's a six-week goal-setting course that helps people get connected to what their true passion is in life. And one of the things that I... I present to the to uh, the the people who are in the course is something that one of my real estate investor mentors shared with me, and he had us write down what our you know our six month goal is, what our one year goal is, you know, like we do that all the time. But what was interesting and what was different about what he asked us to do was he said, "I want you to go home tonight, and I want you to write out what your 100 year legacy would be, so that." Hundred years from now, none of us are here. What do you want the world to have benefited from, or how do you want the world to have been impacted by you having been here? What would you say to that question? First of all, I want my grandkids to know that hey, they, their grandfather did something in the world to help make the world a better place, and hopefully, they carry on that legacy. Someone asked me why did I write that book, and I said, first of all. So my my kids have something that's that will always be around that they can know um, of their father, and and I just hope that I'm creating something and I'm creating um, a kind of a path to follow for my kids. Mm -hmm. um, not necessarily speaking or playing football, but a way of living and a way of going about serving other people. Um, that I'm seeing my example. And you know when it when it's my grandkids or great grandkids, whenever that hundred year is, you know football is one thing, but I want them to to be able to you know have their chest poked out and say that my grandfather created a path of 
hey, doing right for people, doing right by people, and earning and, and earning a good living by doing that also, and, and just serving serving people as a, as a means to to take care of you know his family and and a means to show us how life should be lived. Yeah, and you you talk about this I, this sentence or it was like a subtitle of one of your chapters. It says serving others doesn't mean not serving yourself. What did you mean by that? So how I serve others, right? It's, it's a way for me to support me and my family at this point. So I think a lot of times, even when it comes like in the nonprofit world, people think that, you know, if I, if I am in service, that there's not a value to that. There's a lot of value and service that you can receive back for yourself to take care of you and your family. So that's what I mean by that. When, when, when you're serving others, you can also serve yourself by serving others. I mean, Colin, you, you've been on stage and you spoke and you help a lot of other people, but on the back end of that, you get paid a, a, a good fee for doing that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think, I think it's a, what we do as coaches, as speakers, and we do a very, very noble work as financial advisors. We do a noble work. And we, when I think about my five F's, uh, faith, family, fitness, finances, and fun, you know, faith, uh, where would we be without it? Um, fitness, and, well, family just goes without saying. Fitness, yeah. talking about mental and, and physical. I mean, we need to have that. Financial, I believe the financials gives us the, the opportunity to do some of the things that we want to do and not always what we have to do all the time when we yeah. have our financials in order, which leads to us having fun. So if, if we're doing something in those areas, I believe that we're doing a, we're doing a really noble work and it's something that we should be proud of and something that, you know, the, the value of it comes back to us also. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think we, it's, it's okay to feel selfishly fulfilled by serving other people. Yeah. It, makes, it feels good, man, to make one, other people feel good. One of the things that I always tell people, one of the greatest, greatest payoffs, Colin, is when you get that person that comes back to you, like I had this lawyer came back to me uh, two years ago. He said, man, you said something to me when I was a sophomore in, in high school, when I wanted to quit football. And, and I I don't know what I said to him, <laughs> but he said something about, I told him how he shouldn't quit and how he should keep going and eventually he'll get a shot. And yeah. that started his senior year, had a great senior year. And he said that he always remembered that advice and it took him all the way through med school, I mean, through um, law school and, and everything to now he's a lawyer. Wow. But you that that type of stuff, you know, yeah. selfishly is is like gold to me because something that I said helped somebody to create a better version of themselves. Yep. You never know who's listening and what's gonna resonate with the people that you talk to. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, Desmond, awesome. And uh as we wrap up here, I like to uh throw in a little uh entertainment industry questions here as far as like what your favorite films are. So do you like movies? I do. Yeah. What would yeah, you say? Most of, them, most of them going back to the nineties and the two thousand early two thousands though. All right. I can't wait to uh hear this. So what would you say your favorite movie is? All right, so um we gotta go in between I got I have three. We got we got New Jack City, Nino Brown. Um New Jack City? New Jack City and, yep. and Nino Brown. You got Life with Martin Lawrence and and um in, in, a, in Chicago uh, legend. 
in there, um, Bernie Mac. And then you also have um, uh, Harlem Nights with Eddie Murphy. Oh, so yeah. Those are my classic movies right there. I've never seen Life. What is that about? Life? Oh, Colin, man. See it. Want it. Life? Out. With, with Martin Lawrence and um and um Bernie Mac, Bernie Mac, yes. So they they were bootlegging. This is back in the 1800s, early 1900s. Okay. They were bootlegging um liquor from uh no, it's Eddie Murphy and and Martin Lawrence. Bernie okay. Mac is in also, but it's Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence are the two okay. main. They're bootlegging liquor from New York down to Mississippi, down to the, where the country boys at. And then they end up getting stuck down there and getting framed for uh, murder. So they had to serve life um, on in this penitentiary in, in rural Mississippi somewhere. And it's a comedy. It's a comedy. And um, uh, that movie is one of my favorites because it came out my first year in the NFL. And that's all we used to quote is, is lines from that movie. And I believe that that movie helped get me through my first year of NFL because that those were the moments that were a lot of lighter moments when I wasn't being so concerned about getting cut. <laughs> I, I had a chance to laugh. At, at <laughs> yeah. And what would you say is your favorite movie from when you were a kid? Um, man, I always loved Wizard of Oz when I was a kid. Oh, wow. Man. Yeah. Great movie. Yeah. That, yeah. And, and I always remember like watching it over my grandfather's house. So that probably has something to do, do with it also. Um, but yeah, I had to be five, six, seven years old around those times. And, and I always look forward to seeing The Wizard of Oz. And what what'd you like about the movie? What res resonated with you about it? Um, just the character, the scarecrow, the tin man, um, the, the lion and how all of them had their different personalities. Um, and then uh, what, what always used to get me was the, the guy who was behind the um, curtain was this little short, short yeah. <laughs> big voice and he's pulling all the levers and yeah, but um, I, I think um, that's symbolic of just just overcoming those those obstacles that you because things seem so big, right? And then when you get up on them, they're not as big as we give them credit for. Yeah, exactly. And I think another great message through that whole movie is there's no place like home. There's no place like home, and that's one of the main reasons I moved back to Chicago was because as much as I love Los Angeles and New York, there's just something about being back home around my family. My mom just moved back here. So uh, next time you're in Chicago, she'd love to meet you. And uh, we got to take you to dinner. I'll be back and talking about no place like home. I'm back in Lakeland. Time I lived in Lakeland in 25 years. And it's all because my daughter wanted to be closer to home to finish up her last year of um, high school. Awesome. 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 And uh, who would you say your favorite actor is? Oh, that's a, that's a good one. I've never really even thought about that. Um, man, it's 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 a lot of them out there, and and Al Pacino is is coming is is the, is the guy who I'm thinking about right now. But I was trying to make sure that he was yeah. uh, he was the guy. Um, you got Denzel Washington also is a is a great actor, and um, uh, man, why am I blowing his name right now? Uh, just passed away from cancer not too long ago. He he was he was ascending up up those um. Chadwick. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was, yeah. he was ending up up there to, to some of the better better actors that I really look forward to. Um, yeah. Man, it's it's uh, Michael J. Michael B. Jordan. Yeah, he's 
I'm in the ranks now. So, man, uh, yeah, those are the people that I could think of right off the bat right now. I haven't, but I haven't seen like a really good movie since um, the Michael B. Jordan movie uh, when he was uh, representing the wrongfully convicted murderer when played uh, by. Um, Fruitvale Station. Say that again. Fruitvale Station. No, no, no. Uh, he, uh, it was a character played by Jamie Foxx that was uh, wrongfully accused. Um, it just came out like last January, February sometime. Okay, I'll have to check that one out too. Oh, uh, if you haven't seen that movie, it was one of the best movies that, I, that I've seen. I can't remember the name of it. But um, he, was a, he was a Harvard all the big glam jobs to go and fight for people who, who couldn't afford lawyers. And Jamie Foxx was playing this guy who was wrongfully convicted of, I think um, it might have been murder or rape. And um, he eventually got him uh, released from jail after like just some long enduring years of um, of hardship. But that was one of the more, more touching movies. And I need to close my door because I want my daughter to hear me when I say this. But I was, you know, my daughter can't see me cry in the movie, right? So I had to, uh, yeah, mercy. Somebody, yeah, mercy, mercy. Okay. So, Got so it. So I yeah. back. We were in there watching the film. And that's not me as a person watching movies. Like, I don't usually get emotional like that. But that movie kind of had me emotional. Yeah, it's, Des, you, I mean, you get really real and raw in this, man. I, I'm, I'm surprised you. Uh, you're not letting it out. You gotta, you gotta cry in front of your daughter. You gotta let her know that it's okay. No, because she used to me doing this type of stuff and being Superman. So, you know, um, I, I can't show her any kryptonite. Yeah, yeah. Would you use any movies or play any like clips from movies before football games to get you guys amped up, like, like Scarface or Gladiator or any of those kinds of movies? No, I wish, I wish, Colin, I'm not that guy who can remember lines from movies and, and remember, like, certain um, cuts from movies. Yeah. I, I wanted to start doing that with some of my um, some of the, my short messages that I put out. Yeah. But then I scrapped it. I say, I can't remember these movies and things um, enough to even put it out there like that. But um, yeah. I wouldn't say I, I was a movie buff. I enjoy a good movie, but um, I have to watch it 20 times before I start like getting all the lines down, like, like life. I probably watched life 25 times. I watched all nights 25 times and I watched, um, new Jack city 25 times at least. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's why I love having these conversations. Cause I've, I always love hearing about what people's favorite movies are. Cause, uh, a lot of the times I haven't seen some of these movies. So thanks for sharing Desmond. Yeah, definitely see mercy. Okay. Have, yes. That, that is a must. Awesome. Well, Des, thank you for being here. This has been an absolute pleasure. So inspiring. And uh, I know a lot of people are going to benefit from this conversation. So I appreciate you being here and all the best. Hey, let me do this. Let me steal some of your followers followers, and tell them to go follow me at DesClark88 on um, Instagram and DesClark88 on Twitter. And if you guys are on um, um, LinkedIn, follow me, Desmond Clark, on, on LinkedIn and Facebook also. So I hope you don't mind a few of your followers. Yeah, no, absolutely. Go ahead, guys, go follow Desmond and uh, look out for for all the uh, the things he's going to be up to. Des, I hope that we can, uh, as soon as all this pandemic stuff is over with, 
I'd love to put together a live event where we can get on stage together and do some uh, some motivational speaking. And I'm actually doing that, Colin. I'm I'm actually starting that in February, putting that together. And tell okay. tell Jamie that's Dez Clark, D E Z Clark, just so they don't get it wrong. But you'll okay. be the first one that I call when we get that all put together, and maybe we can um, collaborate and put it together um, together. Awesome. Well, I believe we're going to be doing a summit in February. So let's chat about you being a part of that. Okay. Sounds good, sir. All right, Des. Awesome. Thanks for being here. And uh, pleasure. I'll see you very soon. Hopefully, uh, next time you come to Chicago, let's uh, let's link up. I know my mom wants to meet you. Yes, sir. I'll be there. Okay. Awesome, right. Des. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Woo! Oh, man. Just Oh, I love it. What a great way to start the week, right? Man, so inspiring. And there's so much more in this book that we didn't get to, but uh, I would highly recommend picking this up. And uh, like we were talking about, I think we're, uh, well, I know we're going to be doing a, a weekend summit. So we're going to have some incredible motivating uh, motivational speakers speaking February 22nd. So we're going to be putting that out there on social. So be sure to check that out. And uh, would love, absolutely love for Desmond to be a part of that to share a little bit more about uh, what's in the book and more about his personal life. And what was really touching about what, you know, I was reading about in the book was just how amazing and supportive his mom was. Um, I had my mom over on uh, Friday night cause I do uh, cooking with Colin and I invite people to uh, on zoom to just watch me in my kitchen cook. And my mom decided to come over and we, uh, we made this amazing dinner. And what was great about it was, you know, just spending time with my mom like that um, in a setting of community. Uh, I just learned, I keep learning more and more about my mom and just how, you know, just how brave she is. And just reading about Desmond's mom in this book, um, it's just really amazing um, and a true testament to who Desmond is. Uh, you just all you got to do is look at, at Desmond's mom, the rock of his family. And for her to uh, to just be that that backbone and make sure that you know her family stuck together through thick and thin to help Desmond get to where he's at today. And uh, and I, it's not lost on me, Desmond, um, that your mom is exceptional and beautiful. And to all the moms out there, including you, mom, I love you very much. And. Uh, I appreciate everything that you do, and I appreciate you, Mrs. Clark, for doing such a great job with Desmond. And again, to all the moms out there, uh, your kids may not tell you that they love you, but I'm here to tell you from the future that they love you. So just keep doing what you're doing and keep being the uh, the supporter and the nurturer and uh, and keep just giving your kids hugs Tell them you love them every day, and uh, thanks for being here. We are launching my next book club February 1st. So if you haven't joined the Agile Artist Book Club, it would be awesome for you guys to jump in there. You have the opportunity to have your own book clubs within the book club, and it's all on this app where you get to do daily exercises. And uh, we're going to do three group coaching calls where I'm going to jump on and we do a Q&A. Uh, so that starts February 1st. You can go to agileartist.com to sign up for it. And I uh, would love to see you in there. Um, and I will uh, see you guys next week. We got a few great more guests for 
this season of Coffee with Colin. And uh, I wish you guys a great beginning to the week. Sending you much love and uh, take care for now. All right. Thanks for being here.